I'm so glad you're here. So good to see you. Thanks for coming week 10. We would have been sad if you didn't come. Welcome, welcome. Well, my name is Donna Tonis, and I get to be married to Eric, as I said earlier on the stage, and we have four kids, and we live in La Mirada. Is anybody here from La Mirada area? Yay! And we get to teach at Biola University, and we grew up in Connecticut. I, last week, I had two kids in my session who were from Connecticut. That is so weird. None of you are from Connecticut, right? No. And uh, anyway, it's been so fun to be here at Hume all summer, and, um, and I'm glad you guys are here to, so we can end together. Um, okay, we are going to talk about trees today, and I'm so excited to tell you about all the things I've learned about trees this year. I've just been geeking out about trees. I grew up with a dad who loved trees, and so I just kind of learned that from him. And we would go places, and he would always point them out, and I would just kind of look up and be in awe. And so this year, I've just learned more about what the Bible has to say about trees. And so I'm just on this journey of learning and wanted to share that with you. Hopefully, you guys can geek out about trees too. So who knows where the largest living thing in the world is and what it is? It's a tree. Does anyone know its name? Oh, you said it. General Sherman tree. Yeah. You guys knew that. It's so close to here. It's only 16 miles from here. Did you know that? So close to here. Let me show you a picture. Okay, these are two sequoia trees that are right down the road from here. They're not in the national park. So we just hiked out in the woods to these. But look, that's Eric and me. Look how little we are next to those huge trees. Okay, but 16 miles from here is the largest living thing in the world. That's what they say in the national park. It's the General Sherman tree. But you can't walk all the way up to it because it's in a national park, and so it's, it's got a fence around it. But you should go and look at that tree. It is so awesome. Let me tell you something about sequoia trees. They're only here. They only grow in this area, nowhere else in the world. That's why when you go to this tree and you stand in front of that fence, you hear people speaking all different languages because they come from all over the world to see this tree. And some of us live in California and have never even been to this tree. So I would encourage you, put this on your bucket list and someday go and stand in awe of the sequoia trees that God made. Why do you think God made sequoia trees? Why do you think God made sequoia trees? Why does God make anything? Yeah. Because he can. That's a great answer. And because it pleases him. It makes him happy. And it brings him glory. Because you can stand next to this tree and you can look up and say, that tree is so awesome. And then you think, about the one who made the tree. And you say, he's even more awesome that he would make these for his pleasure and for our pleasure. So we need to take pleasure in these. Listen to some cool facts about sequoia trees. They only grow here between 5,000 and 7,000 feet elevation on the western side of the Sierra Nevada. 260 mile strip of land. That's it. This is the only place they grow. And God did that for his pleasure and for ours, and they can live to be 3,000 years old. So some of these trees, when you go look at them in this area, you're standing next to a tree and you can think, that tree was already growing at the time that Jesus was born. Isn't that amazing? 
so cool and so huge. Well, do you know that the Bible has a lot to say about trees? And we're going to think about a couple of them this morning. So let's read this passage in, in Genesis 2. You ready? And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put a man who he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So God planted this garden. Have you ever thought of God as the first gardener? God plants this garden. He puts Adam in it. And it's full of trees. And they're beautiful to look at, and they're good to eat. There are a lot of them, but two trees get talked about in Genesis 2. Of all the trees in the garden, we learn about the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I've read some theologians who say that they think it's, it's okay to assume that these two trees didn't necessarily look different from all the other trees, but God did give them instructions about these two trees. The tree of life was a tree that was going to have fruit that was going to be beautiful and good to taste, but they, had to, they were supposed to wait for it. Adam and Eve were told to keep the garden, to take care of it, but Adam was told some instructions. Okay, So the tree of life, he's supposed to wait for the tree of life, and later he'd be blessed in ways that he couldn't even imagine if he would wait for it. But God said about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, while you're waiting for the tree of life to be ready, what did he say about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Who knows? Don't eat of it. I don't know who said that, but thank you. Don't eat of it, or you shall surely die, God says to Adam. And what does Adam do? Some people think he may, may have walked right past the tree of life, the one he's supposed to wait for, where he's going to get life eternal and, and with unhindered relationship with God forever. And he walks right by that tree instead of waiting for it. And instead, Eve, actually, and Eve walks past it, goes over to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They were told, do not eat or you will surely die. And Eve takes it, doesn't she? And she eats it. She offers it to Adam. And he eats it. It's so sad. There are lots of sad portions of the Bible. This is certainly a really sad portion of the Bible. So they eat it, and who knows what happens? They don't physically die, but they are what? Who knows? Say it again. Separated from the Lord. Yes. Some, some versions of the Bible say banished, kicked out very violently, kicked out of the garden, the place where we are told that they walked with the Lord every day. This beautiful relationship with God, unhindered relationship with him. It says they walked with him in the garden in the cool of the day. So they just talked to God, walked with him. Doesn't that sound amazing? Now they're kicked out because they disobeyed him. The one rule that he gave them in the garden and they broke it and so now they're kicked out of the garden and we learn that the tree of life which was going to be the very thing that was going to give them life forever it says there are angels now guarding it with flaming swords so they're out of the garden they can't even get close to this the tree of life the very thing they longed for and they're kicked out. And some people say that we can think of the whole rest of the Bible 
as a journey and as a fight to get back to the tree of life because they've been banned from it. They can't even get near it to get the thing they need and want the most. And that the rest of human history is this journey to try to get back to relationship with God that is intimate and unhindered where we can walk with him in the garden in the cool of the day without having sin prohibit it. Sin keeping us away from him. Because when Eve took that fruit and when she shared it with Adam and they sinned, we all sinned too. Because we are their children. So, in a sense, we're all kicked out of the garden and we're all banned from the tree of life. Do you know, who knows, that we see the tree of life again at the end of the Bible? Did you know, so you can sometimes think of bookends on the Bible. And we see the tree of life at the very beginning. And we see the tree of life again at the end. And let's look at it. Let's look at what it says in Revelation. Remember, Revelation is a vision that John has of what's to come. And so there are some things in Revelation that can be tricky for us to understand. But it's worth thinking about and studying and reading books of wise people who have studied it. But we're going to see what the vision that John had regarding the tree of life. Okay? Then the angel showed me the river of water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life. Isn't that so interesting? How can there be a tree of life on two sides of a river? <laughs> it's curious, but we're going to see someday. <laughs> the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Okay, so the tree of life in Genesis was one tree in one place in the midst of this garden. It was pleasant to the sight, it was good for food, and it offered life if Adam and Eve would wait for it and not choose to try to find life on their own through the fruit that they chose to eat, to disobey and eat. And the tree of life in Genesis was a place of testing. Adam and Eve were tested, and they failed the test. And we have suffered from that failure because of sin. We, we continue to suffer from that, don't we? But in Revelation 22, we see the tree of life. It has been expanded, okay? So it's bigger. It's on both sides of the river. It has 12 kinds of fruit. In Genesis, they were still waiting for that fruit to be ready, in Revelation, the tree of life has 12 kinds of fruit. There's no waiting. Every month of the year, there's fruit that is ripe and ready. And it says the very leaves heal the nations. Now remember in Genesis, the tree of life was going to be available to Adam and Eve. Now the tree of life is available to the nations. Everyone that God has created. So this tree is bigger and has much more influence and it has healing power. And it's become, it tells us later in Revelation, a place of worship. People worship at the tree now. Okay, but who sees a problem? Who sees a problem? 
Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, and the tree of life was guarded by flaming swords. This is a beautiful picture of the tree of life, but the problem is we can't get there. How do we get there? We don't on our own. Absolutely. We don't on our own. Sorry, my notes got all mixed up somehow in the last week. Okay. We can't get there on our own, but do you know that there's only one way, and do you know it involves another tree? Did you know that the cross on which Jesus died was made of wood and is called the tree in several places in the Bible? Listen to this. In 1 Peter 2.24, it says, He himself, speaking of Jesus, bore our sins on his body on the tree. And Paul in Acts no, sorry, yes, Acts 13, it says, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. There are other places, too, where it talks about the cross of Calvary being a tree. So we have this sin problem that occurred at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in Genesis. And then we have this tree of life in Revelation that is such a beautiful sight and offers healing for all the sin in the world. And the only way that we can have access to this tree of life in Revelation is through the tree on which Jesus died. Isn't that amazing? Who knew that trees would tell this whole story? You know, sometimes maybe you've heard that Jesus is called the second Adam. Because he too, Jesus too, was tested at a tree. But where Adam failed... Jesus passed the test, didn't he? He said that he would do the Father's will, even though it was hard. And because of his love, he took that on. He took on the sin of the world and died on a tree so that we wouldn't have to. Isaiah 53 tells us it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Deuteronomy said that uh, those who were under God's curse would be killed on a tree. And for a time, Jesus was under God's curse for our sin. So if we realize that life is only found in Jesus, and we don't grasp for fruit on our own, but we wait for God's blessing and his timing. Then we will have access to the tree of life when we put our faith in Jesus and his death on the tree and his resurrection. So the tree of judgment became the tree of life. For us. And one Bible teacher says the tree of life is life giving, forever feeding, and healing. And she said, It's Christ Himself. The tree of life is Christ Himself. In Him was life, John 1 14 tells us. And truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat 
the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood. You have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day in John 6. So true life is found. The, the thing that Adam and Eve wanted, but they chose their own way, the thing that we want is found through Jesus through and the cross, the tree on which he hang, hung, hang, hung, hung for us. <laughs> so the good life only comes through him, Paul tells us in Philippians 1. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So we can make our life under the tree of life and experience the healing of his leaves, the healing of all sin, all the things that make us sad, all the loss, all the tension in relationships, all the violence, all the things we suffer. So when we put our faith in Jesus and his righteousness becomes ours, the Bible tells us in several places that we become like a tree. Someone, listen to someone. The righteous man is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff who dry up and fly away. So don't you want to be like a tree? You're planted by streams of water, you never wither, and you bear fruit. So we become like a tree, we become like Jesus, we also are bearing fruit to bless others. Okay, so if we are like trees, what are some lessons we can learn from trees? There are many, but I just want to share two with you. I want you to think about how God made us interconnected. Whoop, we're going back. Okay, this is a drawing of trees so that you can see how roots are interconnected. This tree in the middle is receiving this direct sunlight. You see all that yellow coming down on these trees? And the trees far out to the right and left, they are not in the direct sunlight. But notice the little yellow dots that come from that central tree and move their way down through the root system and back up to give nutrients to those trees far out to the right and left who are not in this direct sunlight. This is how God made trees. They are interconnected underground in a way that we cannot see. Sorry. It's breezy, which is nice. Um, they're interconnected in a way that we cannot see. But God made them that way so that they can survive. Because otherwise, think of all the things that trees encounter. Especially, we talked about sequoia trees early on. Especially, imagine being a 275-foot tall tree, all the wind, all the fire. We had eight feet of snow up here this winter. All the things that trees have to encounter, or maybe they're not in the right place where the, all the rain is hitting them or the sun is hitting them. So what do they, how do they survive? They share. They share nutrients underground. They hold one another up. Do you see how God made us like trees? God made us 
to be so deeply rooted, so connected to one another that we share our nutrients. There, there are times when your friend is going through a really hard time and saying, I doubt God exists, or I feel really weak. And we can say, I actually am feeling really strengthened. I've been reading my Bible. Let me tell you what I've learned. I will pray for you. Lean on me. I'm feeling strong. How can we do that? Because we're deeply connected, uh, deep down like roots. Our lives are interconnected. There are times when you will go through a hard time. And you've got to be deeply connected so that you can lean on God's people when you need them. It's, this is how God made us. God created us to be deeply connected. And we live in a country that lies to us in some, some ways of thinking and tells us that if we're strong, we're independent. And it's not true. God didn't make us to be independent. He made us to be deeply connected to his people in his church. And so my encouragement is to you is to go deep in relationships in your church. And if you don't have a good church, I encourage you to find one where they teach the Bible and go deep in relationships with people, people older than you, people younger than you. Do not believe the lie that if you're only 13 or 17, that you don't have a lot to offer your church and you got to wait until you're an adult. It's not true. God's people need you. They need you to serve. They need you to disciple younger people. They need you to make them laugh. They need you to just befriend them when they're lonely. And you can do any of those things when you're 10 years old, 12 years old. We need each other. And this is how God intends for us to live, deep and connected and long-term. That's another problem we see in our country, people jumping, churches. Find a good one and stay there. Even if you don't like the music this week, even if somebody said something that hurt your feelings, this is how God intends for us to live, deeply connected to his people. Okay, another way, another thing I think we can learn about trees. This is a really interesting experiment that they've been doing for years called Biosphere 2. They have all kinds of plants and trees under the, these domes where they study them to try to learn what they need, how they thrive. You know what they learned over years of watching trees in here? The trees do not thrive. They do not flourish in there. They either don't grow to full, full height, or they're bending over, or they just lose their green color. They're not thriving in there. And the scientists are thinking, why are they not thriving? They have all the nutrients they need. We're giving them everything they need. What's going on? And you know what they realized that they don't have living underneath here? Wind. Smarty pants, whoever you are. Wind. Who knew that trees needed wind to survive? Something happens to trees when they bend in the wind. Something chemically happens that strengthens them. Okay, do you see how we are like trees in that way? Have you been through something hard in your life or someone you love and you look at them and you say, they've gotten stronger. Their faith in God has gotten stronger because they're having to bend in the wind, the hard things. I have this group of friends 
six other women and me, and we get together, we get together for dinner twice a month. We've been friends for 20 years. They're just my dear sisters. And you know what I've realized when you're good friends with the same group of people for 20 years? You basically take turns going through hard things. We laugh, and we have fun, and we raise kids together, and it's wonderful, but we go through a lot of hard things. And some of you know that, because some of you have experienced really hard things, and people you love have too. And that's going to continue to be the truth, but God uses hard things to make us stronger. So we can bend when the wind comes, but in order to stand, we have to be deeply rooted. Otherwise, the wind is going to knock us right over. If you have a tree, if you dig up a tree and you transplant it out somewhere by itself, and it's not connected to other trees, and a big wind comes, it usually topples. We have got to go deep with God's people. That's how he intends for us to live. That's how he made us. He tells us in the Bible, don't stop meeting together with God's people. Don't stop meeting together on Sundays, Sunday mornings at church. The Bible says some, some people do that, but do it even more because the end is coming and hard things are coming. <laughs> Go deep with God's people. Stay there. Give yourself to them.